Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 19. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Ramon, when I do bow down in the house of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. He said to him, Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray once more with me. God of grace, as we look once more today in this sermon series at divisions in our culture, we look at what you have to say about people being so divided. Help us, Lord, to honor you with how we are with one another. Help us learn, Lord, what it means to be stronger together in your name. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our one rock and redeemer and refuge. This we pray in the name of Christ. As all God's people say once more, amen. When I was a chaplain at nearby Mary Washington Hospital several years ago, there was a story that was used as part of our training. It's a story you may have heard before. It is an ancient one from India, and it was about six men who were blind and curious about what an elephant is like. 
And so someone made arrangements for an elephant to be brought into the village, and the six men gathered around it. The first man reached out and he touched the side of the great animal and said, I know an elephant is like a wall. The second man reached out and his hands landed on the trunk and he said, you're wrong. An elephant is like a snake. The third man reached out and his hands landed on the tusk. He said, you're both wrong. An elephant is like a spear. The fourth man reached out and his hands landed on a leg. And he said, all of you are wrong. An elephant is like a great big cow. The fifth man reached up and out and his hands landed on an ear. He said, all of you are wrong. What are you thinking? An elephant is like a fan that waves in the breeze. The sixth man was standing over here at the end of the elephant. And he reached out and his hands landed on a tail. And he said, all of you are wrong. An elephant is like a rope. And on and on they debated and they argued. An elephant's like a wall, a spear, a rope, a fan, a cow, a snake. Each one was insistent and demanded on his own perspective. All the others were right, were wrong. (laughs) And they each alone were right. They got ticked and angry and insulted at one another until someone suggested, what if it were possible that not one of them had all the answers, but they could learn from each other and expand their understanding together, listening in healthy humility as one? For us as chaplains, when we studied this story, the elephant in the room, so to speak, represented God and faith. We came from different denominations, different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different stories, as the patients likewise all would be. And the moral of the story was that none of us had the market cornered when it came to God that we would always have much to learn. It wasn't all about me or my views or my perspective or my denomination. God was God and we were not. And none of us knew everything. And that was the point of the story. Humility. Stronger, together, listening as one. Naaman learns a thing or two about that in the story we hear from 2 Kings today. Thank you, Vicki, for reading the passage for us today. Naaman was a powerful man, a military hero in Aram, a well-respected army commander, but he had a problem. Naaman had a skin disease. Scripture uh, uses the word leprosy to describe it. That word covers a lot of different skin conditions in the Bible. And a skin condition in that ancient culture was a problem. It meant a social stigma. It would mean an impact on Naaman's military career and social standing. And it was a serious dilemma. There was a servant in Naaman's household who said, Well, in my homeland in Israel, there's a prophet who can heal that kind of thing. And so Naaman told this bit of news to the king of Aram. And the king of Aram thought it would be a good idea to send Naaman to Israel to get that leprosy healed. 
And so Naaman arrives in Israel and he has a letter from the king of Aram and he gives it to the king of Israel, which says, heal my commander, Naaman. And the king of Israel knows he can't do that. He thinks it's a ruse for war and he's greatly distressed and afraid. The prophet Elisha, who served in Israel from 850 to 800 BCE, hears about all this and sends a message to the king of Israel and says, send him to me and God and I'll take care of it. And so Naaman arrives with his big entourage and the horses and the chariots and the gifts and the servants right at the door of Elisha. And Elisha does not come out of the house. (laughs) Naaman is, after all, the commander of the enemy army. Elisha sends a messenger who says, tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman is ticked and angry and insulted. His pride is insulted in a number of ways, personally, nationally. It's also insulted uh, intellectually. Personally, Elisha didn't even come out of the house. A man of Naaman's stature is not used to that kind of treatment. He's insulted nationally. Naaman had conquered Israel. Weren't the rivers in his home nation, Abana and Farpar, far better than any of the waters that would have been in Israel? Surely those would have been dirtier, perhaps, he thought. How could he wash in dirty water and be made clean? He's also insulted intellectually because he knows how this works. He's used to being the smartest person in the room. And so Naaman says, well, I all, we all of us know that what a prophet does is wave a hand around the spot, right? And then it's healed and made clean. What's all this about washing in a river nearby? He storms off in a rage. He's done with this. He's done with Elijah and he is headed home. And then his servants step in. And they speak cautiously to him, saying, come on. If Elijah had asked you to do something grand or heroic or difficult, you would have done that, right? All he's asking you to do is step into the water and wash and be made clean. Come on. We traveled all this way. We're here. Let's try it. And finally, Naaman says yes. To his credit, he listened. And I wonder how long it took him to turn that entourage back toward the River Jordan. And then once they got there, I wonder how long it took him to put his toes first in. And what did he have to lay aside before he could get in the Jordan? Oh, that's a question for all of us. What do we have to lay aside before we can step in the Jordan? For him, his elaborate robes and finery. For him, his armor, perhaps the part you could see and the part he's been building for years that no one could see. The trappings of his position and command, the pressure of it. The way he thought everything would work out, his sense of control, his pride his understanding? What does he leave lying at the river's edge so he can step into the waters and be vulnerable to a God he does not yet know? 
willing to admit he might have been wrong and might still have something to learn or couldn't see the whole picture yet. This was a moment of humility. He steps into the cool, wet water to wash and be made clean and eventually, bit by bit, surrenders to it and to God. Dipping down in the water and coming up. Dipping down and coming up once, twice, three times as the waters wash over his head again and again. Can you picture it? Can you feel it? What began as reluctant bathing became a foreshadowing of a baptism of sorts, of transformation at least, of cleaning a lot more than his skin. Something in addition to leprosy washed away that day when the waters touched Naaman's skin and drenched him to his soul. When Naaman exits the Jordan River the seventh time, his skin, scripture says, was like new, clean, like a young child, made new. In no small way, the same thing had happened to his heart. And Naaman, now overjoyed, returns to Elisha's house, grateful, humble, And Elijah comes out to listen. Naaman offers Elisha a big gift. Elisha won't take it. It's a powerful story of humility, of surrender, and a willingness to be vulnerable to God, to a God much bigger than we are, whose ways we do not fully understand. With whom do you relate in this awkward story? To the servants awkwardly in the middle of two powerful opposing sides, encouraging one to try to listen to the other? To Elisha, awkwardly, reaching across a hated divide to offer healing to someone on the other side? Who does that? Or to Naaman, awkwardly laying aside prejudices, long-held understandings, perspectives. To realize he still had something to learn from someone on the other side of a divide. Wherever you stand in that story today, at the elephant's head or tusk, or fit. It's a humble place to realize we might still learn something from someone else around us and that when we listen to each other we are stronger for it in humility as God works in and through us for God's purpose in it. This story today of Naaman's healing is one of two stories that Jesus tells when he gives his first sermon in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. It is a story that gets him into trouble, big trouble. Jesus preaches that out of all of the persons in Israel who had leprosy, that God chose to heal an outsider, (laughs) Naaman. 
And the religious people listening to Jesus tell that story that day are offended, ticked, angry, insulted, and not a little bit. What do they do? They drag him to a cliff in order to throw him off of it. A crazy reaction, right? Why so angry? Why did Jesus have to bring up this story? Couldn't he have told one a lot safer? Why does this story bother them so much and make them so uncomfortable? They are insulted by it personally and in their faith and understanding of God. Who does Jesus think he is? He grew up in this town. It's his hometown. What does he think he has to say to them? Perhaps they think. They know how God works and this is not it. Stop telling them who God is that they don't want God to be. Stop talking, they think, about God's grace offered to people outside of the circles that they have drawn. It's the start of oh so many ways that Jesus will irk and irritate the religious leaders and churchy folks who are certain they have God all figured out. Jesus wants to push boundaries that people don't want pushed. And so they want to hurl him off a cliff to silence him for good so they won't have to grow. Humility was not their strength that day. What can we say about humility? One thing, it's very humbling to preach about humility. I will say that. (laughs) Because I realize first myself how much yet I still have to learn. Humility, many would say, is a willingness to be a lifelong learner. Humility, I've heard someone say, is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Another has said that humility means we live out of our relationship to God, not out of our egos. And my father likes to say that humility is one of the best benefits of education, that what we're meant to learn is how much we don't know so that we will always keep our minds open to growing some more. Humility, many would say, is one of the great characteristics of a leader. And humility, Jesus said, is a characteristic of a disciple. He says the first will be last and the last will be first, not in a hierarchy, but side by side, stronger, with Christ as our cornerstone and not any one of us. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we all get it wrong sometimes, pastors included. For it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that all of us only ever understand in part. That we each stand at some different part of the elephant, rarely able to see the whole thing. And together we make up the body of Christ, a big messy body meant to work as one with all our differences and all our gifts united together instead of standing firmly at the tail or the head or the feet of the elephant. My sister likes to say that some folks won't enjoy heaven very much. She thinks they'll be ticked and angry and insulted when they are there that in her mind they'd already drawn lines that God decided not to follow. 
And they had thought maybe only Methodists would be there or certain kinds of Methodists or only Baptists would be there or certain kinds of Baptists or only Episcopalians or only non-denominational folks or only Catholics or only um, anything else you can think of. (laughs) But some other line that we wanted to draw that God didn't. I wonder if she's right. I'm thankful that the business of drawing lines is not something Jesus gave us a pencil to get to do. Thanks be to God for that. I know I would mess it up. God is bigger than all of us. And if we get to our 90s, we'll still have much more to learn. At least I know I will. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. God designed it that way. With all the ways we are similar and all the ways we are not. How do we practice humility? For me, it happens with my ears. And it happens on my knees. And it happens in my heart. And so we pray for the people with whom we agree. And we pray for the people with whom we disagree. And we pray for the people we like and who think like we do. And we pray for the people we don't like whose thoughts may be different from ours. And we pray for the church. And we pray for the community. And we pray for the world. And we pick up prayer requests. We've got some just outside the door in a prayer station where the prayer requests are tucked into the braids of the rope. And if you're joining us online, there's a prayer digital wall that uh, you can join in together today. Someone told me last Sunday that church is like a team. Team, he said, stands for together everyone achieves more. I like that. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we need each other to do ministry, to do all that God calls us to do, and we cannot do that alone. We do it in unity, not uniformity. We could surround ourselves with only people who see the elephant the way we do. We don't learn as much in an echo chamber. We need all our different voices and gifts at the table. Because maybe maybe one of you would say, God is like a strong tower. And the next person would say, no, you're wrong. God is like a refuge and a storm. And the next person might say, well, you're both wrong. God is the peace that comes, um, that keeps us out of the storm. And the next person might say, no, you're all wrong. God is like a rock. And the next person might say, nope, you're all wrong. God is like the hen that gathers the wings, the chicks under her wings. And the sixth person might say, oh, every one of you is wrong. What are you thinking? God is like a compassionate Abba Father. Scripture says God is all of that and more. That together we get a bigger picture of who God is and begin to understand God in new and growing ways rather than debating like the six men in that old story. So may we learn and listen to one another. None of us has the market cornered when it comes to God. Pastors certainly don't either. We are stronger together than we are on our own. I want to be like Naaman and leave any junk I need to 
at the water's edge so that I can step into the Jordan like Finley did today and be made whole. So close to our Savior, the one who makes us new. Amen. Amen.